Chapter Eight of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three, by Eugène Sue. Chapter Eight: The Bachelor's Breakfast. Monsieur de Lucenay came into the room. The Duke's wound had been so slight that he did not even carry his arm in a sling. His countenance was, as usual, mirthful yet proud. His motion perpetual and his restlessness as usual unconquerable in spite of his awkwardness his ill-timed pleasantries and in spite of his immense nose which gave his face a grotesque and odd character m de lucenay was not as we have already said a vulgar person thanks to a kind of natural dignity and bold impertinence which never forsook him how indifferent you must think me to what concerns you my dear henry said m d'harville extending his hand to m de lucenay but it was only this morning that i heard of your unfortunate adventure unfortunate pooh pooh marie i had my money's worth as they say i really never laughed so in my life the worthy monsieur robert was so religiously determined to maintain that he never had a phlegmy cough in all his life but you do not know this was the cause of the duel the other evening at the embassy i asked him before your wife and the countess macgregor how his flemmy-cough was for between ourselves he had nothing of the kind but it was all the same and you may suppose to have such a thing alluded to before pretty woman was very provoking how foolish yet it is so like you but who is this monsieur robert ma foi i have not the slightest idea in the world he is a person whom i met at the spas he passed by us in the winter garden at the embassy and i called to him to play off his foolish jest to which he gallantly replied the next day by giving me a touch with his sword-point this is the history of our acquaintance but let us speak no more of such follies i have come to ask you for a cup of tea so saying m de lucenay flung himself down full length on the sofa after which poking the point of his cane between the wall and the frame of a picture hanging over his head he began to move it about and try and balance the frame i expected you my dear henry and i have got a surprise for you said m d'harville ah bah and in what way exclaimed m de lucenay giving to the picture a very doubtful kind of balance you will unquestionably unhook that picture and let it down on your head pardieu i believe you are right what an eagle's eye you have but tell me what is this surprise of yours i have invited some of our friends to come and breakfast with us really well that is capital bravo marquis bravissimo ultra bravissimo exclaimed m de lucenay in a lusty voice and beating the sofa cushions with his cane with all his might and who shall we have Remy? no i recollect he has been in the country for some days what the devil can he be pattering about in the country in the midwinter for are you sure he is not in paris quite sure for i wrote to him to go out with me and learned he was absent and so i fell back upon lord douglas and cezanne nothing can be better they breakfast with us bravo 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 exclaimed m de lucenay again with lusty lungs and then wriggling and twisting himself on the sofa he accompanied his cries with a series of fish-like bounds and springs which would have made a boatman envious the acrobatic exercises of the duc de lucenay were interrupted by the arrival of m de saint-remy 
there was no occasion to ask if lucenay was here said the viscount gaily one could hear him below stairs what is it you graceful sylvan country swain wolf of the woods exclaimed the duke in his surprise and sitting up suddenly i thought you were in the country i came back yesterday and having this instant received d'harville's invitation i have hastened hither quite delighted to make one in so pleasant a surprise and m de saint-remy extended his hand to m de lucenay and then to the marquis let me thank you for your speed my dear saint-remy is it not natural the friends of lucenay ought to rejoice in the fortunate result of this duel which after all might have had very serious results but resumed the duke doggedly what on earth have you been doing in the country in the middle of winter saint-remy it mystifies me how inquisitive he is said the viscount addressing m d'harville and then turning to the duke i am anxious to wean myself gradually from paris as i am soon to quit it ah yes the beautiful idea of attaching you to the legation from france to gerolstein please leave off those silly ideas of diplomacy you will never go my wife says so everybody says the same i assure you that madame de lucenay is mistaken as well as all the rest of the world she told you in my presence that it was folly how many have i committed in my life yes elegant charming follies true such as people said would ruin you in your sardanapalian magnificences that i admit but to go and bury yourself alive in such a court at gerolstein what an idea Psh! it is a folly an absurdity and you have too much good sense to commit absurdities take care my dear lucenay when you abuse this german court you will get up a quarrel with d'harville the intimate friend of the grand duke regnant who moreover received me with the best possible grace at the embassy where i was presented to him really my dear henry said m d'harville if you knew the grand duke as i know him you would understand that saint-remy could have no repugnance to passing some time at gerolstein i believe you marquis although they do say that he is a very haughty and very peculiar your grand duke but that will not hinder a don like saint-remy the finest sifting of the finest flower from being unable to live anywhere but in paris it is in paris only that he is duly appreciated the other guests of m d'harville now arrived when joseph entered and said a few words in a low voice to his master gentlemen said the marquis will you allow me it is my wife's jeweller who has brought me some diamonds to select for her a surprise you understand that lucenay we are husbands of the old sort you and i ah pardieu if it is a surprise you mean shouted the duke my wife gave me one yesterday and a famous one too some magnificent present she asked me for a hundred thousand francs four thousand livres and you are such a magnifico you lent them to her they are advanced as mortgage on her arnouville estate right reckonings make good friends but that's by the by to lend in two hours a hundred thousand francs to a friend who requires that sum is what i call pretty but rare is it not prodigal you who are a connoisseur in loans said the duke laughingly to saint-remy little thinking of the cutting purport of his words in spite of his effrontery the viscount blushed slightly and then replied with composure a hundred thousand francs that is immense what could a woman ever want with such a sum as a hundred thousand francs as for us men that is quite a different matter ma foi 
i really do not know what she could want with such a sum as that but that's not my affair some arrears for the toilet probably the tradespeople hungry and annoying that's her affair and as you know very well my dear saint-remy that as it was i who lent my wife the money it would have been in the worst possible taste in me to have inquired the purpose for which she required it yet said the viscount with a laugh there is usually a singular curiosity on the part of those who lend money to know what is done with it parbleu saint-remy said m d'harville you have such exquisite taste that you must help me to choose the ornament i intend for my wife your approbation will consecrate my choice your decisions are sovereign in all that concerns the fashion the jeweller entered bringing with him several caskets of gems in a large leather bag ah it is m baudouin said m de lucenay at your grace's service i am sure that it is you who ruined my wife with your dazzling and infernal temptations said m de lucenay madame la duchesse has only had her diamonds reset this winter said the jeweller slightly embarrassed and now as i came to m le marquis i left them with her grace m de saint-remy knew that madame de lucenay to aid him had changed her jewels for false stones he was disagreeably embarrassed at this rencontre but said boldly how curious these husbands are don't answer any inquisitive interrogatories m baudouin curious ma foi no said the duke it is my wife who pays she can afford all her whims for she is much richer than i am during this conversation m baudouin had displayed on a table several superb necklaces of rubies and diamonds what a fine water and how exquisitely those stones are cut said lord douglas alas sir said the jeweller i employed in this work one of the most skilful lapidaries in paris named morel but unfortunately he has become insane and i shall never find such another workman my matcher of stones says that in all probability it was his wretched condition that deprived the man of his senses poor fellow wretched condition what do you trust diamonds to people in distress certainly sir and there is no instance of a lapidary having ever pilfered anything however miserable and destitute his condition how much for this necklace inquired m d'harville m le marquis will observe that the stones are of a splendid water and cut and nearly all of a size these oratorical prefaces threaten your purse said m de saint-remy with a laugh now my dear d'harville look out for a high price come m baudouin have a conscience and ask the price you mean to take said m d'harville i will not haggle with your lordship the lowest price is forty-two thousand francs eleven thousand six hundred eighty livres gentlemen exclaimed m de lucenay let us who are married admire d'harville in silence a man who contrives a surprise for his wife to the amount of forty-two thousand francs diable we must not noise that abroad or it would be a detestable precedent laugh on gentlemen as much as you please said the marquis gaily i love my wife and i'm not ashamed to confess it on the contrary i boast of it it is plain enough to be seen said m de saint-remy such a present speaks more eloquently than all the protestation in the world i will take this necklace then said m d'harville if the setting of black enamel seems to you in good taste saint-remy oh it sets off the brilliancy of the stones it is exquisitely devised then this it shall be said m d'harville you will settle m baudouin with m doublet my man of business m doublet told me as much my lord marquis said the jeweller who quitted the apartment 
after having packed up his bag without counting the jewels which he had brought such was his confidence and notwithstanding m de saint-remy had for a long time and curiously handled and examined them during the interview m d'harville gave the necklace to joseph who was waiting and said to him in a low tone mademoiselle juliette must put these diamonds cleverly away with those of her mistress so that la marquise may not suspect and then her surprise will be greater at this moment the maitre d'hôtel announced that the breakfast was ready and the guests passing into the dining-room seated themselves do you know my dear d'harville said m de lucenay that this house is one of the most elegant and best arranged in paris it is very convenient certainly but we want room i have a plan to add a gallery in the garden madame d'harville wishes to give some grand balls and our salons are not large enough then i think nothing is more inconvenient than the encroachments of fête on the apartment one usually occupies and from which on such occasions you are necessarily driven i am quite of d'harville's opinion said m de saint-remy nothing is more wretched more tradesmanlike than these movings compelled by the coming of balls and concerts to give fête really of the first class without inconveniencing oneself there must be devoted to their uses peculiar and special suites of apartments and then vast and splendid rooms devoted to a magnificent ball ought to assume an appearance wholly distinct from that of ordinary salons there is the same difference between these two sets of apartments as between a monumental fresco painting and a sketch on a painter's easel he is right said m d'harville what a pity gentlemen that saint-remy has not twelve or fifteen hundred thousand livres a year what wonders he would create for our admiration since we have the happiness to possess a representative government said the duc de lucenay the country ought to vote a million or two a year to saint-remy and authorize him to represent in paris the french taste and elegance which should decide the taste and elegance of all europe all the world adopted cried the guests in chorus and we would raise these annual millions as compulsory taxes on those abominable misers who being possessors of colossal fortunes should be marked down accused and convicted of living like gripe farthings added m de lucenay and as such added m d'harville condemned to defray those splendours which they ought to display not including that these functions of high priest or rather grand master of elegance which would devolve on saint-remy continued m de lucenay would have by imitation an enormous influence on the general taste he would be the type which all would seek to resemble that is evident and in endeavouring to imitate him taste would become purified at the time of the renaissance taste became universally excellent because it was modelled on that of the aristocracy which was exquisite by the serious turn which the question has taken said m d'harville gaily i see that we have only to address a petition to the chambers for the establishment of the office of grand master of french elegance and as the deputies have credit for possessing very elevated very artistic and very magnificent ideas of course it will be voted by acclamation whilst we are waiting the decision which shall establish as a right the supremacy which saint-remy exercises in fact said m d'harville i will ask him for his opinion as to the gallery which i propose to erect for i have been struck with his ideas as to the right splendour of fête my faint lights are at your service d'harville and when shall we commence our magnificences my dear fellow next year i suppose for i intend to begin my works without delay how full of projects you are 
ma foi i have others also i contemplate an entire alteration of valrichet your estate in burgundy yes there is much that may be done there if indeed god grants me life poor old fellow have you not recently bought a farm near valrichet to complete your ring fence yes a very nice thing to which i was advised by my notary and who is this rare and precious notary who advises such admirable purchases Monsieur jacques ferrand at this name a slight shudder came over m de saint-remy and he frowned imperceptibly is he really the honest man they call him he inquired carelessly of m d'harville who then remembered what rodolphe had related to clemence about the notary jacques ferrand what a question why his honesty is a proverb said m de lucenay as respected as respectable and very pious which does him no harm excessively stingy which is a guarantee for his clients in fact he is one of the notaries of the old rock who ask you whom you take them for when you ask them for a receipt for the money which you place in their hands that would have no effect on me i would trust him with my whole fortune but where the deuce did saint-remy imbibe his doubts with respect to this honest man whose integrity is proverbial i am but the echo of certain vague reports besides i have no reason for running down this phoenix of notaries but to return to your plans d'harville what is it you wish to build at valrichet i have heard that the chateau is excessively beautiful make yourself easy my dear saint-remy for you shall be consulted and sooner than you expect perhaps for i take much pleasure in such works i think that there is nothing more interesting than to have those affairs in hand which expand as you examine them and they advance giving you occupation for years to come to-day one project next year another after that something else springs up add to this a charming woman whom one adores and who shares your every taste and pleasure then ma foi life passes sweetly enough i think so pardieu why it then makes earth a perfect paradise now gentlemen said d'harville when the breakfast was finished if you will smoke a cigar in my cabinet you will find some excellent havanas there they rose from the table and returned to the cabinet of the marquis the door of his bedchamber which communicated with it was open we have said the only decoration of the room consisted of two small racks of very beautiful arms m de lucenay having lighted a cigar followed the marquis into his room you see i am still a great lover of good weapons said d'harville to him yes and i see you have here some splendid english and french guns ma foi i hardly know which to admire most douglas exclaimed m de lucenay come and see if these fowling pieces are not equal to your crack mantons lord douglas saint-remy and the two other guests went into the marquis's room to examine the arms m d'harville taking down a duelling pistol cocked it and said laughingly here gentlemen is the universal panacea for all the ills spleen disgust weariness and as he spoke jestingly he placed the muzzle to his lips ma foi i prefer another specific said saint-remy that is only good in the most desperate cases yes but it is so speedy said m d'harville click and it is done pray be cautious d'harville these jokes are always so rash and dangerous and accident happens in an instant said m de lucenay my dear fellow do you think i would do so if it were loaded of course not but it is always imprudent see gentlemen how it is done 
you introduce the muzzle delicately between the teeth and then how foolish you are d'harville to place it so said m de lucenay you place your finger on the trigger continued m d'harville what a child what folly at your age a small touch on the lock added the marquis and one goes as he spoke the pistol went off m d'harville had blown his brains out it is impossible to paint the horror the stupor of m d'harville's guests the next day the following appeared in one of the newspapers yesterday an event as unforeseen as deplorable put all the faubourg saint-germain in a state of excitement one of those imprudent acts which every year produce such sad accidents has caused this terrible misfortune the following are the facts which we have gathered the authenticity of which may be relied upon the marquis d'harville the possessor of an immense fortune and scarcely twenty-six years of age universally known for his kind-hearted benevolence and married but a few years to a wife whom he idolized had some friends to breakfast with him on leaving the table they went into m d'harville's sleeping apartment where there were several firearms of considerable value whilst the guests were looking at some choice fowling pieces m d'harville in jest took up a pistol which he thought was not loaded and placed the muzzle to his lips though warned by his friends he pressed on the trigger the pistol went off and the unfortunate young gentleman dropped down dead with his skull horribly fractured it is impossible to describe the extreme consternation of the friends of m d'harville with whom but a few instants before he had been talking of various plans and projects full of life spirits and animation in fact as if all the circumstances of this sad event must be still more cruel by the most painful contrasts that very morning m d'harville desirous of agreeably surprising his wife had purchased a most expensive ornament which he intended as a present to her it was at this very moment when perhaps life had never appeared more smiling and attractive that he fell a victim to this most distressing accident all reflections on such a dreadful event are useless we can only remain overwhelmed at the inscrutable decrees of providence we quote this journal in order to show the general opinion which attributed the death of clemence's husband to fatal and lamentable imprudence is there any occasion to say that m d'harville alone carried with him to the tomb the mysterious secret of his voluntary death yes voluntary and calculated upon and meditated with as much calmness as generosity in order that clemence might not conceive the slightest suspicion as to the real cause of his suicide thus the projects of which m d'harville had talked with his steward and his friends those happy confidences to his old servant the surprise which he proposed for his wife were all but so many precautions for the public credulity how could it be supposed that a man so preoccupied as to the future so anxious to please his wife could think of killing himself his death was therefore attributed to imprudence and could not be attributed to anything else as to his determination an incurable despair had dictated that by showing herself as affectionate towards him and as tender as she had formerly been cold and disdainful by again appearing to entertain a high regard clemence had awakened in the heart of her husband deep remorse seeing her so sadly resigned to a long life without love passed with a man visited by an incurable and frightful malady and utterly persuaded that after her solemn conversation clemence could never subdue the repugnance with which he inspired her m d'harville was seized with a profound pity for his wife and an entire disgust for himself and for life in the exasperation of his anguish he said to himself i only love i never can love 
but one woman in the world and she is my own wife her conduct full of noble heartedness and high mind would but increase my mad passion if it be possible to increase it and she my wife can never belong to me she has a right to despise to hate me i have by base deceit chained this young creature to my hateful lot i repent it bitterly what then should i do for her free her from the hateful ties which my selfishness has riveted upon her my death alone can break those rivets and i must therefore die by my own hand this was why m d'harville had accomplished this great this terrible sacrifice the inexorable immutability of the law sometimes makes certain terrible positions irremediable and as in this case as divorce was unattainable only allows the injury to be effaced by an additional crime End of chapter eight read by celine major